Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons Podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. Well, good afternoon, Frank. How are you? I'm well, John. How are you this morning? Hey, I'm really excited, Frank. We get to call this thing something other than the Frank and John podcast or the John and Frank podcast. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. I'm really pleased to announce for our audience that we have a title and it's Safety Perspectives from Region 6. So everybody in the audience, welcome to Safety Perspectives from Region 6. What are we talking about today, John? What I'd like to talk to you about today, Frank, is emphasis programs. And, oh, that's a good topic. Yeah, and, and and the three different types of emphasis programs. And we're not talking about punctuation, folks. And we're not talking about putting a bunch of underscores or all caps or anything like that. We're talking about an OSHA program. And, and so, Frank, could you just kind of for our audience, high level, big picture, what is an emphasis program? So an emphasis program is an area of safety, either the national OSHA office is focused on, uh, the region, for instance, Region 6 is focused on, or uh, even even more micro, a uh, local, uh, an area office area might be focused on. And, and those are emphasis programs where they roll out and they identify certain safety issues uh, that they're going to target. Uh, and oftentimes those safety issues are targeted at employers. One area that uh, probably is familiar to many people that have been around is the uh, emphasis program related to amputations. I think that's probably the most common uh, emphasis program uh, that we come across. And so for anybody who's ever had to call in uh, an OSHA report of an amputation, for instance, has found that OSHA has had a very specific response to that call-in of a report of an amputation, as opposed to those who have called in other issues that instead of having OSHA come out and do an inspection, they just sent you an RRI letter, like the RRI letters we were discussing before. So the emphasis program is, uh, whether it's local, national, or regional, it's a means by which OSHA can come out and conduct uh, inspection so they can focus on certain areas and certain industries. Now, Frank, setting aside the R2I, to use your parlance, uh, right. process. So I wanted to, to kind of break those down a little bit for our audience. You already mentioned area offices in conjunction with local emphasis programs. Can you give the audience a little bit of an idea of, of where the for lack of a better term, kind of the genesis or the idea in a particular area office for a local emphasis program comes from? Is that something that comes down from Washington? Is that something the area director comes up with? And whoever comes up with it and however it, it kind of rolls out, how is that process developed? How is the, the subject chosen? Let, let me couch it in these terms. Uh, I haven't seen very many local emphasis programs in in our region, in Region 6, that actually went all the way to an inspection. But uh, the way that those local emphasis programs are generated can come from uh, from higher levels. But what they're looking at is is patterns of t- 
typically patterns of, of injury rates. So one local area office, whether it's because they have a certain type of industry there or whether it's because they just have industries that are experiencing uh, higher uh, days away from work, restricted work or transfer rate work, uh, whatever the reason, they get that information from BLS and the Bureau of Labor Statistics that determines that there's a higher rate of incidents in a certain area. And they alert that area. And so it might be region, might be national, might be the area office where they decide they need to focus on a specific uh, industry or focus on a specific type of hazard in order to, uh, to address that hazard in that area. So is it any different when it comes to the regional emphasis programs in terms of kind of why it is the particular subject of that emphasis program is chosen and, you know, kind of what the terms and conditions of the programs under that regional emphasis program are? Well, no, the only difference is that it's broader than just one area, right? It's, it's, it's for the, for the, and for all the states in our region, right? Arkansas, Louisiana, and Mexico, Oklahoma, Texas. So it's a, it's a, it's a broader program because they're seeing um, a, a broader incidences in a specific industry. A good example for this area, because we have so much construction is we have a regional emphasis program on cranes. Uh, or because we have so much uh, agriculture, we have an emphasis program for grain handling facilities. I mean, you don't see that in all parts of the country. And is there, for lack of a better term, kind of a finite period of time that either a local emphasis program or a regional emphasis program can be in effect? Or is that something where there isn't necessarily a, a, a defined endpoint? I think that's a loaded question, John. I mean, all these th- say that they're out for three years, but some of these things have lingered for decades. <laughs> oh, Frank. Oh, Frank. Are you, are, you, are you suggesting I was laying a little trap? <laughs> I wasn't sure uh, if that was a setup for a punchline or not. But yeah, it says three years and, and uh, 10 years later, they're still enforcing the same uh, emphasis program. To, in their defense, as, as we tease and poke fun, they have the, the right to extend it. And they say it in the emphasis programs when they roll them out. We're going to do it for three years. And if we like it, we're going to continue it. And they do evaluate them from time to time to see if there's a, a decrease in the uh, DART rate. I'm going to call it DART rate, days away from work, restricted work or transfer work. If, if they're seeing that, that it's corrected and it's not a problem, uh, then, then they cancel them. Uh, otherwise, they'll re-up them. And I know they do cancel them. I've seen them cancel them, as have you. So, Frank, in Region 6, what are the current regional emphasis programs? So there's a regional emphasis program for construction, for cranes used in construction, fall hazards in non-construction, grain handling facilities, health hazards in healthcare industry, heat illness, high noise in manufacturing, poultry processing, safety and health hazards in the manufacture of fabricated metal products, upstream oil and gas industry, and transportation tank cleaning operations. Some of those regional emphasis programs sound a lot like some of the national emphasis programs. The heat illness is is certainly trumped by the national uh, heat illness NEP. I don't understand why the region hasn't pulled it down yet, um, but 
we are in, you know, in the hottest part of the world, it feels like these days. I guess there's some forgiveness there for leaving it up. And just in case the national heat illness uh, emphasis program comes down, then they still have the, the regional uh, available. Frank, is it fair for me to assume the only real difference between a regional emphasis program and a national emphasis program is that the regional emphasis program covers a particular OSHA region, whereas the national emphasis program covers all OSHA regions? Uh, that's right. But, but also with a national emphasis program, when they do the national emphasis program, they frequently extend them to the state programs, right? So if a state doesn't have a, a standard that addresses the emphasis area, then the national emphasis program will frequently say, and hello to you states out there, we need you to adopt something that's at least as good as this emphasis program. So uh, regions don't do that to all states. Region 6 does it to New Mexico, of course, because New Mexico is is a state plan in, in, in Region 6's realm. But the National Emphasis Program hits all the, all the state plan states. And from the standpoint of, you know, when you're referring to states, it just kind of is a colloquialism for state plans. You're talking about state plans when you said they're going to tell the states what to do. Right. Because a part of a state plan, the state plan has to adopt health and safety standards that are at least as effective as the national standards. And so that's the language that they use in these national emphasis programs when they push them to the state plan states. That's part of the agreement that the states made with the national OSHA office when the national OSHA office said, okay, well, we'll let you have jurisdiction over your own plan. It's the whole federalism thing that they talked about in law school. I got a question, kind of a follow-up to um, that piece. So um, our, our esteemed colleague in Birmingham, Mr. Walston, and I, drafted an article about a regional emphasis program in the Northeast that was focused on certain sectors within the, um, what I'm going to characterize as commercial fishing. That might not be the right term for it, but specifically included in that regional emphasis program were, you know, certain OSHA area offices that had a coastal presence and the state plans were not included and the non-coastal area offices were not included. Is, is that something that you see very often where a regional emphasis program will focus on particular areas within a region, or is your experience that they typically cover the entirety of the region? Yeah, typically I've seen the entire region. I haven't seen many cut out like that, but the way they did it up there makes a lot of sense. That's smart. Yeah, no, I thought the same. I mean, you know, obviously there was a couple of states that were excluded and so, you know, that were coastal. And so you, you, you didn't cover the commercial fishing industry in that or in those states, but, you know, for the states where you had coastal area offices and non-coastal area offices, you know, putting the burden on the area office to come up with a certain number of inspections seemed a little bit unrealistic, which, which leads to my next question. My experience of what I've seen relative to emphasis programs particularly with national ones, but also with regional and local, is that they tend to call for a certain number of inspections of a certain number of employers in certain industry categories. Is that typically what you see as well, or has your experience been different? No, that is it, right? I mean, that's what they're focusing on. The one we're going to talk about today in more depth 
the, the warehousing uh, NEP. They specify warehousing distribution centers, parcel delivery, uh, carrier services, mail, postal, but they also do um, some, some retail. They talk about home centers, hardware stores, supermarkets, warehousing, warehousing stores, clubs. Those are listed, and there's an A list and there's a B list. The A list is all the warehouses. The B list is all the retail. And then they generate a random list at the national office. They send it out to the, to the region. The region breaks it up among area offices, and then the area offices get to decide how they're going to conduct that inspection. So say they've got a list of 10 names in their area. Uh, as long as they inspect all 10 of those, uh, those stores uh, or, or those warehouses, as long as they plan to inspect all 10, they can go in any order uh, and, and work through that list. But in some areas uh, and bigger manufacturing areas or bigger warehousing areas like the Dallas area, that area office is probably going to get a list of, of 200 warehouses, maybe more. I'm probably way underestimating that, by the way. And for them to get through that many in three years might be a real challenge, giving staffing and allocation of resources. They'll have two choices there. They'll be able to do it in groups of 10, starting at the top, or some number, doesn't have to be 10, but some fixed number. And then they'll just try to hit those those uh, warehouses or, or stores as as appropriate. And then once they finish the first 10, then they can move to the to the next 10. Again, it doesn't have to be 10, could be 15 or 20 or whatever they, they think they can accomplish. But they have to finish the group that they start with. Or they can just start at the top of the list and work down one by one by one by one. And that's how these are written. That's how these emphasis programs are written. And they're written in, in those terms to allow the area office to be more efficient uh, about allocating resources. So for instance, if the Dallas area office were going to send somebody out to conduct an inspection of warehouse A, well, warehouse B, C, D, and E might be in the same area, but they might not be one, two, three, four, five on the list. And so if, as long as they can group them together in a certain number, you might have one co-show go out and just spend a, a day or, or a week in a certain area of town. And that, that's how the NEPs are written. I'm sorry to jump ahead to the warehouse, though, John. Well, that's quite all right, Frank. Let me ask you another question. You know, relative to the NEPs, well, let me rephrase that. Relative to the emphasis programs, does there need to be any other reason for OSHA to do the inspection other than it's subject to an emphasis program? No, I mean, what we're talking about here is probable cause, right? The government doesn't have the right to, to just walk into your place of business and say, hey, I was driving by, uh, you had a pretty sun in the window, I decided that I'd come by and inspect your facility, so let's get started. They, they don't get to do that. Uh, they have to have probable cause for the inspection, and that's what I'm talking about with the inspection list. By creating an emphasis program, putting it, uh, the industry on notice that they're going to begin focusing on a certain industry or a certain type of violation to put everybody on notice that they're going to conduct these inspections. The probable cause, the nature of it is, look, we've got high injuries or a high dart rate in this area. And so we've written up this emphasis program so we can go focus on these areas uh, and these institutions that are operating in these areas. And that's why they compile the random inspection list. And that's why they have to be very careful about how they go through that inspection list so they can satisfy that, that probable cause and ensure no unreasonable searches. 
There are other ways, as you were about to ask me, and I should have just paused for a second longer. There are other ways that OSHA gets to get in, though. It's not just those inspection lists. Right. And, and, and those are the things like what? I started off with an example, right? Employers must call in and report on themselves if they have a fatality, an inpatient hospitalization, an amputation, or a loss of an eye. So, for instance, if an, if an employer calls in and says, hey, I, I had a, an inpatient hospitalization and we believe it's heat-related, then OSHA is more than likely going to come out and conduct an inspection. And why is that? Because there's a heat illness national emphasis program like we talked about a minute ago. And so whenever they call in these reports, the area director gets the report and the area director gets to say, yes, we'll go inspect or no, we'll just send them a letter, the R2I letter, the rapid response investigation letter that lets us do our own investigation. If it's an emphasis program type of hospitalization, though, then most of the time, I won't say 100% of the time, but most of the time that area office is going to say, we've got to go inspect. We're going to send somebody out. And actually the language in the NEP says, thou shall uh, inspect. So there's a strong expectation that they do conduct inspections, although sometimes resources don't allow. Summer's a, a good example of when people are out and they don't have enough resources. So we get the RRI letter. Uh, another is if you get an employee complaint, right? So we we get the, we used to call them phone faxes, but they're really all RRIs now. But an employee complains about some kind of workplace condition. For instance, say it's an employee complaining about combustible dust. That's going to result in an inspection probably because combustible dust is a national emphasis program area. Uh, but if the employee calls and complains uh, that uh, the lunch table was dirty. We'll probably just get an RRI letter. It's a real trigger when you've got the emphasis program out there addressing a specific area of law or a specific industry. It's a real trigger for some of these folks uh, whenever whenever OSHA gets these these complaints. There's one other area though too. So uh, if if OSHA comes into a to do a, an inspection on something, for instance, uh, say you had an amputation and OSHA's going around and conducting an inspection, and then uh, they can expand an inspection based on an emphasis program. There are limitations on this, and we've defended these before, John, but it is possible for OSHA to try to, an ex- to expand an inspection to include an emphasis program area. Now, the, uh, the reasonable suspicion and probable cause standard has to be met by them always following through if they see it. They always conduct the inspection. That's where they've failed in the past. Uh, If they haven't followed uh, and conducted an emphasis program inspection in the course of another inspection. Uh, And that's why, um, and I'm getting ahead of myself here, and I hope it's not too hard to follow. That's why we always tell people when they're having an inspection, you sit down for your opening conference and say, what are we going to go inspect? They say, we're going to go and inspect the machine where the amputation occurred. Okay, sounds good. And then when the compliance officer says, hey, it's hot in here, I think I need to expand the inspection under our heat illness emphasis program. I need to expand it. So let's start walking around and looking at heat illness stuff. Uh, That's when you stop them and say, let's have another opening conference and let's talk about this. Because it it may not be uh, just cause to, to move forward for another inspection. They may not have probable cause. They may not have a, a, a reasonable basis to expand it if they're not 
expanding it consistently among all industries and all inspections. So Frank, that kind of brings us to one final thought relative to my questions for you relative to emphasis programs. You know, some of these very long-standing emphasis programs, you know, and I think of the, the, the trenching slash excavation slash shoring national emphasis program that's been in effect, I think, before you and I got out of high school, uh, <laughs> which, which is borderline ancient history, um, or in the minds of certain folks, ancient history. Do you kind of, for lack of a better term, the same rules relative to application of the emphasis program apply or is that one of those things where it's just kind of a perpetual reminder in the back of the Kosho's minds that when they show up because there's an excavation trenching shoring issue that you know take a special look at this you know that's a tough question to answer universally I think trenching and excavation is a special case honestly I feel like they get heavy training on trenching and excavation. I feel like a lot of them actually really understand that standard. I think if they identify that type of issue, they're more likely to to, to go with it. Other areas, maybe not so much. Uh, combustible dust, I think, is a harder one for them, right? It's You've got so many factors to calculate uh, with combustible dust. So I think it's hard to have a bright line rule there. It's not a black and white answer to me. I think some some standards are just easier for them to understand and, and to emphasize. Let's shift gears just a little bit. And how about this? How about you tell us about the warehouse NEP? I mean, you're, you're, you're the, the bloggist. So tell us about your warehouse NEP. So as you alluded to, this is a national emphasis program that relates to the warehousing and distribution center business. And it includes warehousing and distribution centers, mail or postal processing and distribution centers, parcel delivery slash courier services. uh, And then what they characterize as high injury rate retail establishments that have significantly higher DART rates than other establishments. Those establishments are defined as home centers, hardware stores, other building material dealers, supermarkets, and other groceries other than convenience stores and uh, warehouse clubs and super centers. Interestingly enough, there's two kind of carve-outs to the previously mentioned categories. One is they're not going to be doing inspections at... Uh, the points of delivery. So, you know, when, you know, the, the, your favorite parcel delivery person shows up at your house, Frank, for the 12,000th box that month, you know, that person's not going to be, uh, or your location's not going to be subject to inspection. The other thing is with regard to the high rate retail establishments, based on the description provided in the NEP, it appears that they're really going to be looking at kind of you know, the quote unquote back dock or, or loading dock area, the receiving area, and, and with kind of a special attention on what's going on in that area. And they're not looking at doing an inspection of the facility as a whole. So what are they going to be focusing on when they're coming to these facilities? Well, so they're going to be comprehensive inspections. And, you know, you had made mention of the fact that they included in the NEP, some, you know, kind of strong mandatory language. 
And that's one of the pieces that, that they shall be comprehensive and they're going to focus on hazards that are common to the industry. This includes uh, powered industrial truck operations or powered industrial vehicle operations. Um, and, 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 you know, for the folks in the audience that don't understand that terminology, you know, we're talking about the various powered material handling equipment that's found in these types of places. They're going to be looking at uh, material handling and storage issues relative to walking working surfaces. And in this context, issues related to walking working surfaces kind of extends into uh, fall protection, means of egress, leaving the facility, uh, fire protection, and then heat and ergonomic hazards are also to be reviewed during these inspections. Hey, let me uh, let me focus on egress first. What what are we talking about here? With egress, we're talking about the ability of the employee to remove themselves from the facility, basically making sure that exits are accessible, not blocked, properly marked. You know, to the extent that uh, the facility is structured in a way where lighting is required, that there's appropriate emergency lighting, um, those types of things relative to an employee's ability to exit the facility. Do you see this particular element as, because I do, I see it as a, a more serious element than the others, especially whenever you're talking about high volumes of of boxes and, and junk stacked around the place, right? It seems like uh, it, lots of people have trouble keeping those aisleways, uh, aisleways wide enough and, and clear enough. Uh, and it, it seems like low pickings for OSHA. No, I agree. And, and I mean, particularly when you're talking about, you know, the exits, because, you know, in the in the retail area itself, you know, there's generally an effort to, or at least it appears there's an effort to keep things a little tidier. But when you kind of get to the back of the location, you know, it tends to get a little bit more congested and, and those exit ways do become an issue. I, I, I personally think that in the pits the powered industrial trucks, powered industrial vehicles. I think that that those two areas are going to be high on the attention of most compliance officers. Sure. And they're well-trained on the powered industrial truck standard as well. I mean, and it's an easy one to understand. Either you've complied or you haven't. It's pretty black and white, candidly, under 1910.178 for anybody who wants to follow along in the regulation manual. Uh, but there are specific expectations that must be completed that I, I find uh, people are challenged by. One of the ones that I see frequently cited, and I won't go into a whole powered industrial truck uh, podcast here since we're running short on time. But one of the main things is is the whole training element and having current certification. I think people get confused about that. What I tend to, to think would be a helpful thing to do is for employers to consider reviewing and in, and uh, evaluating whether the employees have current certification, preferably in their current work location and not from some previous employer. Yeah, well, they were certified at that place. And I know they do a really good job. And so why do I have to certify them here? I mean, I, I look, I completely agree with you. Um, I, I will tell you, I have seen increasing numbers of inspections where the allegation that is being made in the citation is not that the persons weren't trained or certified, but that the training wasn't sufficient, the training wasn't adequate, and you're starting to get into these kind of swearing contests over, you know, is this training adequate, is it sufficient, is it appropriate or not? 
it's the case where they have the generic training, right? But we let them watch the forklift video. Yeah, was the forklift video about their workplace here? No. Well, th- then it's not specific to the location where they're working, is it? But going back to the emphasis, national emphasis program, you know, this is going to be based on DART rate. You know, what you already mentioned, days away, restricted duty, transfer into a different uh, position. There's basically two lists that are going to be created, kind of like you described. And as I read the emphasis program, they are going to inspect everybody that made one of the lists. You know, I mentioned the, the, the trenching, excavation, shoring national emphasis program. And, and I mean, candidly, I don't think they're going through the list. I think they show up and they see people. And, you know, that, that that's, you know, when you suddenly trigger an NEP inspection, that's not the case here. Uh, no, I, I agree. They're coming up with lists uh, and they'll try to get through everything. I, I'm just not sure that they have the resources to do so, but maybe they do. Uh, heat and ergonomics were also on that focus list, right? Correct. Correct. And, and, and this does overlap with the NEP for outdoor and indoor heat related hazards. And so, you know, there is some overlap and, you know, how it exactly is going to shake out in terms of, you know, how they're going to handle those inspections remains to be seen. Um, That NEP doesn't go into effect until mid-September, but, you know, heat is definitely an issue both indoor and outdoor. And also ergonomics, because uh, the NEP also says that uh, if, the compliance officer doing the inspections notices uh, ergonomic hazards, then uh, they shall expand the inspection. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I mean, you know, look, they made it very, very clear in the language of the NEP. These are going to be comprehensive inspections. And I fully expect when they use the word comprehensive, it's going to be very comprehensive. As opposed to just regular comprehensive. Well, I mean, I've <laughs> seen the quote unquote comprehensive where, you know, yeah, I look to the left, I look to the right, I look in front of me, I look behind me. That's comprehensive. No, that's not what's going to happen here. This is going to be very, very thorough. Well, you are very, very thorough, John. Thank you for that. Frank, it's been a pleasure as always. You too, John. Talk to you next time. Take care, everybody. Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.